Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, it was a great week. A couple of anniversary milestones. Last Sunday here at the Trinity Church, we celebrated our third anniversary, and that was really exciting, and we had a great time. And then on Thursday, Grace and I had our 27th wedding anniversary. We've been married for 27 years. Um, and, and, and as Grace would say, we've had a couple of really good years. So um, uh, honestly, I could tell you that, uh, that things are getting better and better and that uh, I have more excitement for the future than at any time in my life. And today I get the great honor of talking to you about how to have a great marriage. And if you're new, we're in the book of Proverbs. It's a really practical book because there are a number of things that people want to do, but they don't know how to do them. And what Proverbs does, it answers the how-to for those things that you already have, uh, the want-to. And so as we get into it today and we talk about marriage, most of these principles will apply to a wide variety of relationships. I'll be speaking primarily in the context of marriage, but what we're gonna talk about is four things. For you note takers, here's where we're going. Faith, forgiveness, friendship, and fun. Faith, forgiveness, friendship, and fun. And some years ago, a couple years ago, some dear friends of ours that we love very much, they were having, a great anniversary celebration. They've been married for decades. So they gave me the honor of officiating. They're like, would you come up and we can renew our vows and you know, just celebrate God's goodness in front of friends and family. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So I went there and as I was preparing the message for them, I prayed and I felt like God laid on my heart, faith, forgiveness, friendship, and fun. So that was my message at their wedding anniversary. And I want this to be a message to prepare you if you're single to have a great marriage or if you're married to have a great anniversary whenever that comes next for you. So we'll start with number one, uh, faith, faith. And we're gonna start in Proverbs 1:7, And this is really the theme of the whole book of Proverbs. This is the umbrella under which everything else can be found. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's wisdom for everyone, but not everyone welcomes it. Some of you are raising that child. We're praying for you. You're you're, you're giving instruction, but they're not receiving instruction. The difference between a wise and a foolish person is not that they make mistakes, but that the wise person learns from those mistakes and course corrects, and the foolish person continues in the direction that is not functioning. When he's speaking here about the fear of the Lord, he's not talking about for the believer cowering in terror, but what he's talking about moreover is respect and reverence. He's talking about honor and humility, which provides priority and purpose. When the Bible says that God is a father, that's what it's sort of alluding to, this honoring. And here's what I need you to see. There is a pattern and precedent in the scriptures where honor goes up and blessing comes down. The fear of the Lord is honor going up to the Lord. Part of the reason that our culture and the families therein are not blessed is because it is dishonor that goes up to God, dishonor that goes up from children to parents, dishonor from citizens to leaders. We live in a day when rebellion and folly and dishonor is the norm. And then we wonder why we're not blessed. Honor goes up, blessing comes down. 
God wants to bless you, but he can't bless you if you're not honoring him. Otherwise, he would be encouraging rebellious, foolish, self-destructive behavior. This would be like every time your child did something wrong, uh, you gave them some sort of gift and celebrated it. Well, all you would encourage is more rebellious behavior. God's a father who loves us, and so he wants us to honor him so that he can bless us. And when it's talking about the beginning, what he's saying is God first, God-centered. Everything begins with God. Here's how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. After God comes man and woman. After God comes marriage. After God comes parenting. After God comes work. But everything is cause effect contingent upon God. And so everything needs to begin with God. This is why we'd encourage you. Begin your day, begin your budget, begin uh, your marriage, begin your family, begin your business with God first, God-centered, and then from there, the rest of things will organize themselves according to God's will. And ultimately, what it is is this, it's seeking to find what is right to do in the sight of God. That's what it is. To live a God-first, God-centered life is not to get up and say, okay, what do I want? But to get up and ask, what do you want? It's not to get up in the mirror and say, okay, what do you wanna have happen today? It's getting on your knees and asking, Lord, what do you wanna have happen today? The best thing you can do is not try and win. If your decisions are, how do I win? You will be ungodly. If your decisions are guided by, how do I have comfort and ease? You will be ungodly. If you ask, what is the will of God? God will reveal his will to you. And to walk in that is the fear of the Lord. It's trusting the Lord. It is trusting in the Lord. It is trusting the direction from the Lord for the course of life that he has appointed for you. That's exactly what he's referring to. Now, there's something really great here too. Some of you are here today and you didn't begin with God. Your life didn't begin out of fear of the Lord, your marriage, if you're married, didn't begin, or if you're dating, your dating relationship didn't begin with a fear of the Lord, or you, you had kids and it, it wasn't God first in the parenting, or you've got a company or some job and you're working it, and you're like, it wasn't God first. Here's the good news. The God of the Bible gives new beginnings. And some of you are like, I was foolish, but I now fear the Lord. Okay, great, you get a new beginning. Those who fear the Lord get a new beginning. This is primarily something I wanna emphasize for your marriage. So oftentimes people will say, I need a new spouse. And Grace and I like to say, you can have a new marriage with the same spouse. What you need is a new marriage, not a new spouse. Oftentimes, right? Amen? Okay, all the people that are like, I messed up this week. Write this down, sweetheart. Okay. Um, and what you can say is we had a bad beginning and God is gonna give us a new beginning to have a new marriage with the same spouse. That's God's heart and intent. There's nothing you've done that God can't forgive. There's nothing you've done that God can't overcome if the two of you will begin in the fear of the Lord and check your heart. So the first two priorities are God and your heart. Let me just tell you, the behavior is external, but the battle is internal. That ultimately the life that we live is out of the heart that we have. 
And so the priority needs to be God first and where's my heart? Here's what he says, Proverbs 28, 17. And the, and the, the issue with your heart, it's your decision-making. It is your emotional center. It is your will. It is, it is central and essential to all that you are and all the decisions you make. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Again, fear, honor up, blessing comes down. God doesn't bless people. He blesses people whose hearts fear him. Some of you, you've had seasons of blessing, but you may have had seasons that lack blessing. And sometimes it is because here you were walking in wisdom and here you were walking in folly. Here you were walking in obedience. Here you were walking in rebellion. You're like, God, why don't you bless me? What he would say is I bless people who walk in my well. I will get behind the things that I am asking you to obey me in. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever, what's the word? Hardens his heart, falls into calamity. If you had to pick one word to describe your heart today, what would that be? Broken, hopeful, joyful, sad, anxious, hard. What he's talking about here is that God wants your heart and that really everything rises or falls with the heart, particularly in marriage of the husband and the wife. Now here's what happens. Life will give us some painful circumstances and we use those as an excuse to harden our heart against God. God, if you would have done this, if you wouldn't have done that, if you would have shown up, if you would have answered that prayer, life wouldn't be so hard. And my heart is now hard because my life is hard. It's your fault. No, your heart is your responsibility. Your heart is under your dominion. That's why the Bible says to humble your heart and to guard your heart, to cleanse your heart. Your heart is your responsibility and opportunity. Circumstances don't determine the condition of your heart. You decide the condition of your heart. That's why two people can go through the exact same circumstance, maybe even go through it together. One has a tender heart. They grow in compassion and empathy for others. The other becomes hard-hearted, cold, aloof, indifferent, and self-righteous. I've been through a lot, therefore I don't give a lot. And that's the death of any sort of devoted marriage. How's your heart? Where's your heart? Again, the heart determines the want to, and then wisdom determines the how to. I can tell you all day what to do and it doesn't matter unless what? You wanna do it. I was talking to a friend of mine, he's a medical doctor. I was like, what's that like? He's like, it's so frustrating. I tell people, you're not healthy. You've not changed your diet. You're gonna die. You're gonna explode. You know, make some adjustments. And he said, unless they want to, there's nothing I can do. He says, I've tried to scare them. I tried to push them. I tried to hold them accountable. He said, nothing happens unless they want it to happen. That's the heart. Do you wanna have a good marriage? Do you wanna forgive each other? Do you wanna love each other? Do you wanna grow old together? And if what you're saying is I can't because what they have done, it has hardened my heart. I would say, bring that heart to God, have him cleanse your heart, have him soften your heart, have him renew your heart. Maybe you even need a new heart and he's gotta do a, a spiritual heart 
transplant in your soul. Take out what was there and put his heart in you. Here's why it's so important to marriage. Jesus says that the reason that marriages end is because of hardness of heart. Long before the paperwork is filled out, the heart is hard. That ultimately, sometimes in Christian marriages, and I'll push a little bit, you're welcome. Uh, it's only the beginning. Um, sometimes Christians will have a heart divorce without a formal divorce. Meaning I, I'm not for you, I'm not with you, I'm not enjoying you, um, but I haven't moved yet. No, but you've moved in here. You've moved in here. And ultimately the issues of life are matters of the heart. That if two people will bring their hearts to God and receive God's heart, they will be able to by God's grace, with God's help, God's blessing, God's presence and pleasure, they'll be able to work through whatever the issue is. But unless both of your hearts are for him and for each other, you need to start with the heart. You need to start with the heart. How's your heart? Where's your heart? Is your heart hard? Is your heart hard toward God? Is your heart hard toward someone else? Is your heart hard toward your spouse? Is your heart hard toward or, or hardening? Some people are like, it's not hard. Is it hardening? Okay, it's hardening. I mean, it's not hard, but it's hardening. Okay, great. Let's just diagnose the condition of the heart. Fear the Lord, bring your heart to the Lord to receive the Lord's heart. And what happens then, Proverbs 31, uh, this, is the, uh, this is the high pressure women's scripture in the whole Bible, right? Every woman is like, oh, I wish I was Proverbs 31. It is the, it, it, this is the Olympic uh, gold medalist of awesome females. That's Proverbs 31. She's amazing. She knits, she makes money, she doesn't sleep. She's unbelievable, okay? <laughs> she cuts coupons, she's fantastic, okay? She's like this prototypical quintessential awesome gal. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. Here's what it says. Charm is what, ladies? You ever met a deceitfully charming woman? Somebody like, yeah, that's how I ended up in this relationship. Okay, now, <laughs> I apologize. We'll fix that. Change your heart. Now, um, because some people can be very charming and very manipulative or very flattering and very evil. And, oh, they're so fun and they're so funny and they're so demonic, right? They're just deceptive. They're deceptive. Charm is deceitful and beauty is, what ladies, beauty is? Vain. Does that mean it's not a good idea to care about your outer person? That's not what it means. But what it does mean is what matters most is your inner person. I don't know about you, I, I've been to the grocery store and there's women's magazines. I think they're all written by naughty men. That's what I think. Because every headline sounds like something that a, a naughty man decided would be good to teach. I have yet to read a headline that says, how to have a good soul. <laughs> right? How to have eyelashes, how to have makeup, how to do your hair, how to dress yourself, how to tan your body, how to... How, how, 
Nothing about guarding your heart, nothing about a heart that fears the Lord, nothing about cultivation of the soul. Even social media, click, 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 click. Here's my outer life. God sees your inner life. Man looks at the outward, God looks at the heart. And when God sees the heart, he knows the real you. Now, what it says here is that her heart fears the Lord. It says, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What he's talking about here is a woman who is God-centered, God first, her heart is for the Lord. She's not perfect, but she's godly. She's integrous. Her intentions are to do what is right in the sight of God and what is good for others. And the result, this is cause effect. The heart of her husband trusts in her. It's hard to trust someone that doesn't fear the Lord. If you're like, well, you know, I need to keep an eye on them. You know, when they're not under my supervision, I wonder about the decisions they will make. Well, if they fear the Lord and they're living in relationship with the Lord, that means that their relationship with the Lord is driving their decisions, not your control. Not your control. But if your spouse's heart fears the Lord, it increases the opportunity for you to trust in them. I trust them. When I'm not looking, I'm not worried. If I don't check it, I'm not stressed out. I believe that their heart is for the Lord and my heart is for the Lord and we have the Lord's heart for one another and we're not perfect, but we are living in God's presence. Ultimately, a couple of things. You and your spouse both need God. Number two, only God can meet your deepest relational needs. Your relational needs are God-sized. One of the ways, I'll, I'll be honest with some of my shortcomings in marriage, so you feel better. Um, this will be the first of many negative examples from our marriage. Early in our marriage, in the early years, I started crushing grace with expectations. I was uh, a new Christian when we were newly married and I didn't have a, a full, healthy, mature relationship with the Lord yet. And so what I would do is I would take my needs and I was like, okay, my wife is here. I'll give those needs to her. And she's crushed by them because those needs can only be met by him. Even a great spouse is a bad Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Even a great spouse is a bad Jesus. I've been doing marriage counseling for more than 20 years. And I hear things like, um, well, if you would just not let me down, I'm just telling you, it's, it's on the calendar, that is in your future. They're going to let you down. Well, if you would just emotionally be present always with me to meet my emotional needs, and the answer is, that's a God-sized situation right there. At some point, I gotta take a nap. One of us has gotta get a job. <laughs> like, you know, I, you know, there are other things. And what happens is we take our God-sized need and we give them to a spouse and then we crush them under the weight of expectation. So your relationship with God is first and primary. What that will do is model for you healthy relationship. Okay, God loves me. I guess I'm supposed to share that love with you. God forgives me. I guess I'm supposed to 
share that forgiveness with you. Okay, God is present with me. Okay, I'm gonna be home for dinner and sit there with you and, and practice the ministry of presence. It sets a precedent and pattern for healthy relationship. And also it provides the resources. It provides the life source for the marriage and the family. Um, a couple of things I will say. When I'm talking here about faith, I'm talking about faith is belief that directs behavior. Belief is knowledge and wisdom is behavior. Faith in my understanding of it here in Proverbs, it is belief in God and the word of God that leads to behavior, trusting God through action. That being said, the highest divorce rates are between people who practice two different faiths. If you don't agree on the big things, you're never gonna agree on the little things. Where are we from? Why are we here? Where are we going? If you can't figure that out, whether the toilet paper should go over or under is not your real big issue, <laughs> okay? That ultimately two people of different faiths have the highest divorce rates. Our culture has a lot of lies and myths and certain sociologists like Bradford Wilcox have done the research and here's what they have found. The, the lowest divorce rates are for a husband and wife who practice Christian faith. Meaning they read the Bible, they worship God privately and in church. They attend church together. They surround themselves with godly people to set a good example and be a good encouragement. People who will practice their faith. They have the lowest divorce rates. I hope that encourages you. They have the lowest rates of domestic violence. They have the highest rates of marital satisfaction. The wives report off the charts, the highest enjoyment of their marriage. And those husbands and fathers are the most committed, most devoted, most affectionate, and most encouraging of all fathers in America. If, if people were just honest, they'd be like, we got a crisis, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so ultimately, if the two of you will practice faith, then honor goes up, blessing comes down. This is not a promise, but it's a principle. And that's how the Proverbs work. That being said, I wanna encourage you by being honest. When Grace and I met, our relationship was not grounded and founded in faith. See, some of you have gotten it wrong and you're like, well, I got it wrong. Well, you need a new beginning and let God make it right. right? Stop building on that foundation, start building on this foundation. So when we met at 17, we've been together more than 31 years, as I said, married for 27. I was a Jack Catholic kid. Some Catholics love Jesus, I didn't. Whose fault was that? Me, because who's responsible for my heart? I'm responsible for my heart. I didn't care about God. I didn't wanna to go to church. I didn't wanna learn anything. So I stopped going and occasionally my mom would drag me, take me, probably watching, thank you, mom. My mom did love Jesus and she wanted me to love Jesus and she could see that her son's heart was not with Jesus. So she was trying to encourage my heart toward Jesus. So I was a moral, religious, self-righteous kid, but I didn't know Jesus. I wasn't a Christian. Grace grew up in a pastor's home. Her daddy was a pastor. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. We named this church after her daddy's church. 
She gave her heart to Jesus when she was a little girl. She would sit out on her swing in the backyard and sing worship songs and talk to Jesus. She loved him from the heart. But as she got older, she wandered a bit. We could say that she had a prodigal season of rebellion and that's when I snuck in. And so, <laughs> and, and to be fair, to just be, I mean, we're being honest, right? This is church, let's be honest. At one point, Grace was like, well, I should only date a Christian. Are you a Christian? I said, what happens if I'm not a Christian? She's like, then I can't date you. I was like, well, praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> praise the Lord. And so we started dating, okay? This is not a good heart, amen, amen? I mean, if this was my kid, I'd be doing prison ministry from the inside right now. This is not how I want their relationships to go. My heart was not in the right place and we were not fearing the Lord. So we start dating, we cross boundaries, we're intimate, we did it all wrong. And then at age 19, God did something wonderful and that is that God saved me from myself. I believe that God saves us from Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God and ourselves, okay? So God saves me from me. All of a sudden, my heart changes. I, I love Jesus and, and I really like the Bible. And I, I wanna learn the Bible and I wanna get to know Jesus. My heart changes. So I find a, a great church, Bible teaching church. We're under the authority of God's word. We're in community with God's people. At that same time, hours away in college, God is working in Grace's heart. Here's the good news. God is working in their heart as he is working in your heart. God was working in her heart and she had come back into a vibrant relationship with the Lord. She was back in the scriptures, back in worship, back in prayer, back in church. And so we started talking. I was like, I really love Jesus. She's like, I love Jesus too. I was like, we, we have done this all wrong. She's like, yeah, I know, I'm a pastor's kid. And I was like, well, I didn't know. I grew up behind the airport. You know, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of verses, you know, so. Uh, and so then we had to go to church and open the word of God and learn and renew our minds and have God, re God redirect and restart our relationship. And God gave us a new beginning, a new beginning. And so if you're here today and you're like, oh, it wasn't God first, it's a mess. New beginning, new beginning. And it starts with you fearing God and having a heart that is willing to deal with reality. Now, this being said, I, I wanna be careful in this. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think we, let me ask Grace. I'll, I'll shift the burden, she's in the front row. If you weren't a Christian and I wasn't a Christian, do you think we'd have celebrated 27 years last Thursday? She said, no, right? The truth is always with the wife. That's the lesson, okay? I don't believe that we would be together. And if we were, our hearts would not be for one another. They would be against one another, okay? Everybody needs Jesus. That relationship is needed for any healthy relationship. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an illustration. I, I was trying to think, how do I articulate this faith piece first? And then the rest of the dominoes fall in succession. So I prayed last night, Lord, if there's a good, you know, analogy or illustration. And uh, the Lord woke me up an hour before my alarm this morning. And I thought of something and I thought, okay, Lord, I don't know if you know this, I was gonna get up in an hour. It seems like we should have scheduled this for another time. And uh, just being honest with you. And uh, 
Lord, if it's from you, remind me in an hour. And I went back to sleep because I'm a man of faith and I trust the Lord. So I, I went back to sleep. And then when I woke up, God brought it to mind again. And let me give you an illustration. So if you're new to the valley, let you in on a little secret, nothing grows here unless you water it, okay? Like if you just put your kid, your dog, your plant outside, you will have none of them, okay? They're all, they're all going to just be eviscerated. And so when we first moved into our house here in the valley, the tree was alive, the bush was dead, and the flowers were fighting for their life and the shrubs had surrendered long ago. Everything was in various states of health. And so we tried to figure out how to make this work. And finally, we realized we need a new sprinkler system. We need a new sprinkler system. And what happened was we hired a landscaping company. They put in a brand new sprinkler system. And here's what's important. They connected it to the water main. You, you can have a fantastic sprinkler. And if it's not connected to the water main, it's in vain. Now, if you go in our backyard, recently a friend was over there like, oh, your trees are huge, your bushes are green, your flowers are blossoming. There's life in your yard. Yes, because there is regular watering. Here's the big idea. There are lots of people and places in the world that you can learn how to build or how to architect or how to create a sprinkler system. But fear of the Lord is your water main. Non-Christians to say, here's all these good ideas. Yeah, but you're not connected to the water main, right? Unless you're connected to the source of love, the source of life, the source of peace, the source of forgiveness, you have nothing for yourself and you have nothing for your marriage and you have nothing for your family and you have nothing for others. And so fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's where it all rises or falls. And that's how you hook up your soul and yourself to the water main. Number two, forgiveness. Faith, God first, forgiveness, forgiveness. And what he's gonna talk about here is reality, repentance, and reward. Reality, repentance, and reward. Proverbs chapter 20, verse nine, who can say, I have kept my heart pure and I am clean without sin. Any, anyone wanna do that today? You wanna come up and say, I have lived a perfect life. I don't need Jesus, I am Jesus. And what he didn't say was those who have lived a good life. What he talks about is those who have a pure heart. Well, that's even harder, right? How many of you are like, I've lived a pretty good life. How's your heart? Oh, not good. You're like, no, my, no, I think I did a great job. Well, then your heart's really, really not good because you're proud. That's a proud heart. So let me ask you this. Are you a sinner? Yeah. Is your spouse a sinner? Yeah. Which one are you more familiar with? Right? If I said your spouse is a sinner, you're like, oh, for sure. I know. That's why we're here. Thank you, Pastor Mark. This is helpful. Write that down, honey. Write that down. Okay. Not only are they married to a... Sinner, so are you, but we tend to be way more aware of our spouse's sin than our sin. So reality is he's a sinner, she's a sinner. They both need a savior, okay? They both need a savior. That's reality and that leads to repentance. Proverbs 14, 16, one who is wise and cautious and turns away from evil 
Uh, but a fool is reckless and careless. A fool keeps going in the destruction direction and the person who is wise course corrects, they change their direction. That's literally what repentance means. It's a change of mind. That's wrong. It's a change of allegiance, God first. It's a change of heart. And the change of heart is I don't wanna do this anymore. I want my decisions and life directions to be determined by the will of God, not the folly of this world. It's repentance. And this is what is crucial and key. You are going, if you are married or in any warm relationship, you're gonna hurt each other. And sometimes it's not that what you did was a big deal, but the person who did it is a big deal. Because a total stranger could do something that is pretty catastrophic and you're not 15 years later at three o'clock in the morning obsessing over it. But someone you love can do something relatively minor and you carry that offense and hurt because you had hope for them and you had trust in them. This is where couples don't fall out of love. Anytime a couple comes to me and says, we have fallen out of love. So, okay, no, long before that, you fell out of repentance and forgiveness. Long before you fall out of love, you fall out of repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is, I was what? I was wrong. There are people in this room, they never heard a parent say that. Parent was always, you repent of your sin, but I don't own any of mine. Repentance is, I was wrong, I am sorry. That was a big deal. So big that God died for it. Forgiveness is, I'm not going to punish you. Jesus was already punished. Jesus forgives me and so Jesus helps me forgive you. Right? This is what repentance and forgiveness permit. And this is so significant and important because here's, here's the reality. Everyone knows that we have behavior that is erroneous and wrong. We don't all use the language of sin. But what happens is psychologists, sociologists, cultural anthropologists, they'll say that our problems are external, that they are nurture. The Bible says that our problem is internal, it's nature. You didn't just have a bad education. You just didn't grow up in a bad culture. You didn't just have a bad family. You have a bad heart and God needs to give you a new heart. And so ultimately everything out there is contingent upon what's happening in here. We're really talking about the guts and the heart and the soul of relationship with God and one another. But those who will deal with reality and repent, then what happens is God rewards. God does in fact reward. Dis Proverbs 13, 21, disaster pursues sinners. Sometimes you look at people that are living in open rebellion, open folly, open evil, and you're like, why is their thing working? Why is it going so good for them? Here's why, disaster is pursuing them and has not quite yet caught them. But the righteous are rewarded with good. If you deal with reality and repent and forgive, then God will reward that relationship. 
So there's a guy named Dr. John Gottman. He spent 16 years observing 49 couples in a laboratory that was designed as an apartment to get more of a home situation. He recorded everything from heart rate to facial expressions, and he can predict with a more than 90% success rate who will get divorced and who will not. And he says that there are four horsemen that contribute to marital strife and relational strain. And they start with something called a harsh startup. Okay, so I didn't have time to prep the whole sermon, so this is where I need your help, okay? This is where you guys will just give me some examples. What would be an example, not of your marriage, but of the people who live in the apartment next to you that you can listen in on? Of those people, what are some examples of a harsh startup to a conversation? You never! You always, boom, boom, boom. That's the jab and the hook right there. You always, you never, what else? Whatever, that's, I don't care, I'm done. I hit the eject button. What else? You should. should. We roll out the scroll, right? Here's all the things you should do. We'd have a great relationship if you were just a better employee. You never, you always, you should. You're just like your mother. My mom's involved? Oh my gosh, now we've gone from one-on-one wrestling to tag team wrestling and now I'm tagging my mom in. We're both gonna get, I'm gonna, mom, he said I'm just like you. Oh, that's a blessing for him. Let's both crush him, okay? Um, (laughs) If it's not you're like your mother, you're like your... You're like your, your father was a drunken bum. Guess what? Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Okay, so you've heard this before. I'm just, this is a little case, you've heard this. How many of you are like, has Pastor Mark hacked our security system and been watching our house? No, harsh startup. This can be volume, uh, this can be, hey, Stern tone, pursed lips. I'll just tell you ladies, this is it. As soon as we see the wrist go to the hips, it's over, it's over. You're like, this is going to hell, this is not going to heaven. As soon as your wife is like, okay, we need to talk. You're like, no we don't, no we don't, no we don't. One of us needs to call 911. The wrist went to the hip. Everybody knows that's the universal sign for war, okay? Here are the four horsemen, criticism. This is the problem, not is there just a problem, you are the problem. You you make their behavior their identity, which means there's no hope for them. You don't just lie, you're a liar. You just don't fail, you're a failure. We tend to nickname the people we love and hate the most. And in criticism, we attack the person, not the problem. Then contempt, disgust, name calling, Mocking, body language, eyes rolling, glaring, huffing. (sighs) (laughs) All the single people are like, it's not gonna be like that. It's not gonna be like that. I read Genesis, they were naked and ate fruit and were happy. That was a long time ago. Things have changed. (laughs) Number three, Defensiveness, the person who feels like they're being attacked, what do they do? They double down. 
no, I did not do that. I did not say that. You're twisting my words. That's not what I meant. When I said I hated you, I didn't mean that I hated you. You're like, well, I didn't know how else to interpret it. And, uh, and what we do then is then we blame shift, right? You double down. And then as soon as you're caught, you're like, I got to shift the blame. So all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm angry because I'm married to you. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? I'm a victim. Look at what I'm dealing with. You know what? I used to be a happy person and a, a joyful person and a skinny person. And look what you've done. <laughs> you've ruined my life. Okay? And that leads to number four, stonewalling. This is where the Cold War sets in. Okay? He goes to his man cave. She goes to her craft room. He goes into the garage. She goes into the laundry room. We're not talking. I'm done. We're not making it. We're done. This is over. Now, 85% of the time, Gottman says that it is one gender, not the other, that is most likely to stonewall. Do you think that men or women are most likely to stonewall? You say women. Let me just tell you this. Having known a few women, they will continue to talk. That's just my experience. If you're fighting with a woman, she has more words than you. Okay, that's just how this works. Statistically, she has more words. So at some point, the guy's like, I'm out of ammo. I'm gonna stop talking. And the wife is like, I got more rounds. We're gonna keep going. And that's what happens in a marital conflict. Okay? Is, is this true? Yes. And the husband, then he decides stonewalling, silent treatment. All of a sudden, he's like, I'll be over here eating beef jerky, watching the game, ignoring you. I'm gonna get in the car and drive away. So if you wanna resolve things, what do you need? Forgiveness. Right? And you need to have these times where you, you look each other in the eye. Because there's a lot of things you can't deal with on text, amen? Your mother's evil, she can't come over anymore. Send, oh, glad that's over. It's not over. It's not over. <laughs> Some things you gotta sit down and talk about. And when you look the person in the eye and you see the hurt that you've caused, it encourages you to own it. And as they see that hurting them hurts you, it encourages them to forgive you. Christianity is about forgiveness. One of our great creeds says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The only way we have a relationship with God is because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did, he went to the cross and he paid a price to have a relationship with you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is, this is 101. This is where you begin, you and Jesus. And you need to say, I give him sin, he gives me forgiveness. That's how we have a relationship. And what that means for you to have a relationship with someone else, especially your spouse, you're gonna need to forgive, which means you're gonna need to pay a price for the sake of the relationship because the relationship is more important than the issue. Jesus has made the relationship more important than the issue. Now, again, let me give you, let me give you an honest testimony. I failed at this for many years, okay? The Bible says that love doesn't keep a record of wrong, but I did. Early on, way early in the relationship, something happened that I was hurt by and Grace repented, apologized, 
grew, that's not her character. But every time we had a fight, guess what I would do? I would be an archeologist. I would go back and I would dig up that issue and I would set it on the dining room table. Okay, well, remember when you did this? And every time that deflated, discouraged my wife. She's like, Jesus died for it. It was buried with him. Can't we just leave it there? Yeah, if Jesus died for it, it's buried with him. Why are you digging it up? He got out of the grave and he left that in the grave and he wants you to walk with him and leave it there. And it discouraged grace. And I knew that there was a problem in my heart when every time we would have an argument, as it escalated, and we don't have arguments, we have prolonged discourses, that's what we have. So uh, we're having prolonged discourses, I would bring the issue up. And I realized I've not forgiven this. I'm doing something demonic, I'm not forgiving. God forgives, Satan doesn't. When you forgive, you're inviting God. When you don't, you're inviting Satan. So I'm like, okay, there's something wrong here. So God did break me, convict me. I think we were on vacation. How many of you, you fight more on vacation? You know why? You have more time. That's why you fight on vacation. We don't fight very much unless we're together. (laughs) It may be a relational problem you need to address, okay? So we're on vacation and we get into an argument and I bring the issue up and God convicts me. And I just realized, man, I have not forgiven my wife as God in Christ has forgiven me. And I went on a drive with the Lord and I was trying to figure out how to commemorate, memorialize real forgiveness. And I ended up at this little kind of vintage store and they had this old school shovel that had a mason jar on the front. And I thought, oh, that's good. And then I went to another store that had the old school handwritten receipts. Here's all your debt in total. And I I said, you know, all of grace's sin, past, present, and future paid in full by Jesus Christ. I think I wrote Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I put that little receipt of paid in full in the mason jar hanging on the shovel and I brought it home and I said, I am sorry, I'll never dig it up again. Grace hung it in our bedroom. Every morning, hi, Lord, oh yeah, note to self, okay? (laughs) But it's a reminder to me not to pick the shovel up. Aren't you glad that God doesn't pick the shovel up? I don't know about you, I like that. I'm glad God's not like, well, let's talk about high school. Let's not, let's not, okay? Faith forgiveness leads to friendship. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here's part of the problem. All friendships are relationships, but not all relationships are friendships. A friend is a peer, it's mutual, it's give and take, it's reciprocity. We have lots of relationships, we have few friendships, but part of the confusion in our culture is We use the word friend for everybody. How many of you are on social media? Little heart funeral for you. They're not all your friends. It says they're my friends. When you move, they will not show up and pick up the other end of the couch. That's how you know who your friends are. They show up when you're moving, okay? 
And what happens is we use this word friendship and then we get disappointed because we're putting a role on someone that is not reasonable. And so what he's talking about here is the difference between the quantity of relationships and the quality of relationships. It's not how many relationships you have, but how deep a few of them go. Furthermore, your spouse should be your first friend. It says in Song of Solomon chapter five, verse 16, the wife says, this is my lover, this is my friend. First friend is spouse. If you're to love your neighbor, Martin Luther says the neighbor who lives closest with you is your spouse. That's where your love begins. I want you to ask this question, were my parents friends? Sometimes we ask, were your parents Christians? That's a good question. Here's another good one, were they friends? Because I I believe that without friendship, even Christians will find themselves in crisis. And the goal is to be friendly toward all, but friends with a few, starting with your spouse, your first friend, okay? I wanna put, Grace and I wrote a book on marriage. We've traveled all over the country. We've done tons of events on marriage. And one of our big themes is friendship. A friend makes the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad, an old proverb says. In addition, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. As you're picking friends, you need to pick people who are wise. So it's asking questions like, am I a wise friend to my spouse? Am I picking wise friends to get counsel and do life with? As a couple, are we picking wise couples to walk and do life with? Here's one of the line item vetoes that Grace and I have exercised in one another's life. She doesn't have a close girlfriend that I don't give a thumbs up to. I don't have a close guy friend that she doesn't give a thumbs up to. And we don't have couples that we get close with unless we both find both of them wise. We had this pain early in our marriage. Maybe you've had it. You know, one of you is like, oh, I met this person. They're so great. Let's go out with them as a couple. And you're there and you're like, ah. I'll never forget, we got in the car one time after dinner with a couple of Grace was like, what did you think? It felt like he took a ball-peen hammer and poked me in the head for an hour, you know, over breadsticks. And by, I'm out, you know, I can't handle anymore. She's sweet, he's possessed, no more, okay, no more. <laughs> so we have to agree on who our couple friends are and we wanna seek people who are wise. Now, some of you are merciful, compassionate, you're not like me, you're, you're empathetic like Jesus. And so what you'll think is, well, what about all the foolish people? Here's what I wanna tell you. Minister to the foolish, walk with the wise. Don't invite the foolish to walk with you. Hey, you wanna come to our house? You wanna hang out with us? You wanna go on vacation with us? How about we both talk about our intimate relationships and give each other counsel? No. Minister to the foolish, walk with the wise. And then he concludes with um, this, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at what times? All times. This is devotion, loyalty, fidelity. This is the heart of covenant marriage. This honestly is my wife, loyal, devoted, faithful. I mean, we have ridden on quite a rodeo and my girl's still in the saddle. So thank you, babe. Thanks for hanging in there. I mean, imagine being married to this. Right? <laughs> I had 
to marry a woman named Grace just, just for this to possibly work out. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for what? Adversity. Real friendships are rare, wise friends are a gift and hard times reveal true friends. You find out who your friends are in the most painful, arduous, troublesome seasons of life. The Puritans used to talk about swallow friends that leave when winter comes. Martin Luther, I'm paraphrasing him, he said, the friend is the one who's walking in the door when everyone else is walking out the door. That ultimately, according to Gottman, 70% of men and women want to be friends with their spouse. So the want to is there, but the how to is not. This is the privilege of the Christian. You can not only have the want to, but through Jesus Christ, faith, forgiveness, friendship, and fun, God provides the means by which to you, for you rather to experience the how-to. God wants you to grow old together. God wants you to make memories together. And let me say this too, friendship and marriage guards against domineering. A friend of mine, Pastor Jimmy Evans, he asked this question a lot. He's like, how many of you grew up in a home where one parent was the stronger, overbearing, domineering personality? And did you find that to be a good environment to live in? And everyone who says I had a domineering parent says that this was a devastating environment. What friendship does is it considers, where do you wanna eat? I don't know, where do you wanna eat? Where do you wanna go on vacation? I don't know, where do you wanna go on vacation? Well, I just wanna take care of you. Well, I wanna take care of you too. Well, I wanna consider you. Well, I'm trying to consider you. That friendship guards against domineering, which is always, I win, you lose, I'm in control, you're under authority, I demand, and then you obey. That doesn't work in business. It might work with a pet. It never works in marriage. Okay, amen? Friendship guards against that. So what Grace and I like to say is that there are three kinds of marriages. Um, Back-to-back. A back-to-back marriage is where you're fighting. You could literally tell, because you're, 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 you're like, okay, that's it, I'm out. I turn my back on you. Talk to, talk to the back, talk to the hand, talk to the finger on the hand, whatever the case may be, okay? And sometimes even when you go to bed, what do you do? Roll over, roll over. Did we leave enough room for Satan? Yes, we did, okay, perfect. <laughs> that's what happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the back-to-back, -back. you're fighting, you're not getting along. Shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder is a lot of marriage because there's a, this is your working relationship, it's stuff you gotta do. How many of you just, you're overwhelmed with stuff? We got church, we got five kids, we got a ministry, we're writing books. There is a lot to do. Let me tell you this, Grace and I are really good at shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. If you want something done, put us together. We will row in the same boat. We get stuff done. We worked together in jobs before we were married. We work together today in the ministry of the church. We're really good at shoulder to shoulder, but you gotta have face to face. For those of you that are around our age, which is mature, uh, <laughs> 
kidding. <laughs> We're at the age now when even people that we knew that we thought loved each other and had a good marriage, as soon as their kids leave, it just implodes because they did shoulder to shoulder for the kids. They didn't do face to face for the friendship. So when the kids leave, the relationship is over because it was little league and dance recitals and, and school choirs and pickups and drop offs and t-ball games and graduation parties. That's what kept us together. And once those needs are gone, we are done. We don't want that for your marriage. But ultimately we want you to enjoy each other and build a friendship and make memories so that there's an environment that your children grow up in that is life-giving and enjoyable and hopeful for them. If you had to define your marriage today, back to back, shoulder to shoulder, face to face. Face to face is where literally, if all you ever do is watch a movie and watch television, that's shoulder to shoulder. If all you ever do is chores and tasks and duties and works, that's shoulder to shoulder. It's not bad, but it's not a marriage. It's roommates, not soulmates. It is a working relationship, not an intimate relationship. And so sometimes you literally just need to sit down, turn the TV off, let's just sit down. Okay, you look at me, I look at you, we talk because the eyes are the window to the heart. And the Bible uses this language of our relationship with Jesus that one day we will see him face to face. That's friends. God wants your marriage to be face to face. Let me close with this last point. Uh, point number four, fun. But this is the end of the line. How many of you are like, yay, fun. I'm for fun. I vote for fun. I like fun. I've tried fun and not fun and I prefer fun. Okay, great. Then how do you get there? Faith, God first. If you're here, you're single, you're not married, God first in your life. Meet someone who's God first in their life. Have a God first marriage and then raise kids in a God first environment. Faith, forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's the crazy person you dated the first time. And the first person we date is always crazy. So you're not alone. Don't be ashamed. Just repent, forgive, and move on. Forgiveness. What has your spouse done? What have you done? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to forgive? Faith, forgiveness, friendship. Hey, let's be friends. Let's do life together. Let's make memories so we can have some Fun. I'm gonna talk about fun in a minute. It's gonna be really fun. Now, immediately, some of you religious folks are like, I don't know about fun. I think the Lord wants us to have joy and not too many Greek word studies, not enough kazoos and party favors. You need to, you need to plan some fun. And some of you are like, no, no, no. The, the goal of marriage is to glorify God. Okay, okay, great, whatever. Okay, 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 okay. Shouldn't have said it like that. But here, here's what I would say. Okay, let's glorify God by having fun. You're going to get to heaven. It's going to be way better than the current presidential cycle. I just promise you that. You're not going to be like, I miss the old election days. I miss that. You're like, no, this is way better. Jesus is king. Everything is paid for. Streets are paved with gold. Everybody's perfect. My spouse is nice to me. And I got my hair back and lost weight. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> this is a great place to be. Okay. All right, here, let's load up. Uh, Proverbs 15, 13 through 19, 22, a glad heart. God wants you to have a glad heart. God wants you to have a glad heart with a happy face. You ever look at somebody, you're like, they're happy. That's because their heart is glad. 
I've had seasons in my life, uh, I was not a glad heart or a happy face. There's some people recently, friends of ours visited the church. They're like, they'd not seen me in years. And they were like, you look happy. I was like, and you seem surprised. (laughs) They're like, actually, I really am happy. I love grace. I love the kids. I love you. I love teaching the Bible. I love Jesus. You know, it could be worse. Right, God is good and there is hope. And yeah, I have, a, I have a glad heart and happy face. This is a good time for me. A broken heart crushes the spirit. You can either at the end of life have a glad heart or a broken heart. If your heart has been broken, give it to the Lord so he can heal it and replace it with a glad heart. How do you have a glad heart versus a crushed heart? A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Garbage counsel, garbage advice, garbage entertainment. It's gonna make your heart sick and your relationship sour. For the despondent every day brings trouble. There's a heart problem. So everything is bad, nothing is good. For the happy heart, I want you to have a happy heart. God wants you to have a happy heart. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. What he's saying is this, your relationship with God is the most important, valuable thing you have. It's it's more important than your net worth because your relationship with God is eternal. Whatever you make, wherever you live, whatever you wear, whatever you drive, it has an expiration date, but the relationship with God endures forever. That's why it's our highest treasure, our greatest value, our deepest priority. And what he's juxtaposing here is those who love money and those who love God and use money. And work will get in the way of a happy heart. I'm not saying don't work. I'm not saying don't pay your bills. But what he's saying is this, your income does not equate to an enjoyable life. How many of you, you thought if I just made more money, I would have more happiness. You made more money, it got you more anxiety. Okay, what he's saying is this, that just the pursuit of wealth does not produce the fruit of joy. So it's better to have a little, God loves you, we're friends, we forgive, we're making memories, we're having fun than to have a lot that is just absolutely tethered to anxiety and depression and fear in the heart. And then he closes with this, a bowl of vegetables. Now this is a real stretch, okay? We're gonna talk about vegetables. So if you're a vegetarian, here's your new life verse. Okay, a bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. Is that true? It's not just what you have, it's who you are sharing it with. That's life. Because you could sit down with an enemy and have a great steak. And you're like, you know what, since I have this knife, you know, <laughs> right? Or you could sit down and have a very simple meal with two hearts that are cheerful and living in the fear of God and that bowl of soup is better than that steak. Now, let me say this as well. If you can have good hearts and eat steak, do it. That would be my encouragement, okay? That would be my encouragement. 
That'd be my encouragement. Some of you are like, I'm a vegetarian. Not in your resurrected body. When God is done with you and you are perfected, you will be a carnivore. How do I know? I've got a verse. I think it's Isaiah 28, 16, that heaven will have the choicest of meats and the finest of wines. Some of you are like, I don't eat meat or drink. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Thanks for leaving some for the rest of us. But I'm just telling you, when Jesus comes back and he comes to the table with a little white linen and he hands you a menu, steak and wine. You'll be like, well, I repent. Okay, that's what you're gonna do. Okay, that's what you're gonna eat. A hot-tempered person starts a fight. What he's talking about here is the crazy cycle. How many of you know the crazy cycle? You, you not only fight over the same thing, you keep saying the same thing in every version of the fight. You drive me crazy. Well, you made me crazy. Well, you're like your mother. Well, you're like your father. Now we talk about my weight and then we talk about your hair and here we go. We all know where this goes. You all, if you're in marriage, you have a crazy cul-de-sac you drive around, right? You're like, oh, if we talk about that, oh man, it's, woo, it's a prison ride, it's a dumpster fire, it's a situation. We've all got those, so get out of those. Somebody's like, I wanna fight. I don't. Well, then I'm gonna yell at you. Okay, I'll pray for you. <laughs> ah, dang it, you sick the Holy Spirit on me. Look what you've done. <laughs> How many of you are hot-tempered? Some guys are like that. They're just like, I'm ready to go. Why? Take a nap. Jesus did, be like Jesus, calm down, okay? Hot-tempered man. Hot-tempered man starts a fight, a cool-tempered person stops them. In your home, Satan is going to light fires. God architects marriage, Satan attacks marriage. Satan didn't even show up until Adam and Eve were married. That's how much he hates marriage. When he lights a fire, you got a bucket of gas, you got a bucket of water, the wise person chooses the bucket of water, the foolish person chooses the gas. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars. Life is hard. If you're looking for the easiest path, that is the road to hell. If you wanna have a godly marriage, fight for your family, walk with the Lord, it's gonna take some time, energy, and money, but the path of the upright is an open highway. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. What he's talking about here is seeking wise counsel and making plans for fun. So let me just tell you this. I, this is one of my favorite things. I have nominated myself in the Driscoll Nation as the CFO, the chief fun officer. I'm the chief fun officer. I like to ask the kids, where do you wanna go? What memories do you wanna make? What holidays do you wanna have? What do you wanna do for Christmas? What do you wanna do for graduation? And I'm always putting fun on the calendar. You know why? Because I know Satan is putting misery on the calendar and I gotta book it first. How many of you have been waiting to have fun? You've been waiting and you're like, I tried to have fun and then my water heater blew up and my, you know, my appendix burst and my dog bit the kid next door and my spouse gained weight and I got fired. But you know, that was Tuesday. It was a rough day for me. Okay, you're, you're just like, man, fun never just happens. You got to plan for it. You got to look forward to it. You got to have something to look forward to. I need to have fun on the horizon. I, I'm going to get to there. Whoa, make memories, kazoo, find your swim trunks. We're not breaking commandments, but we are making memories. Amen? Amen. Faith, forgiveness, friendship, and... Fun, let's bring the band up and have some fun, okay? We're gonna take communion because we've been forgiven. Wow, that's good news. Hey, I'm forgiven. I get a new start, a new beginning with God. 
In addition, we're gonna sing and celebrate. This is where as God's family, we wanna invite God's presence and sing God's praises. And I love you, so let's have a little fun. God, thanks that I get to teach the Bible. I like it, it's fun, these people are awesome. And Lord Jesus, we sometimes take ourselves so seriously and we take you so lightly. Help us to take you seriously, but not ourselves so seriously. Lord, I pray for all of these dear people that fun for them would be fundamental. I pray, Lord God, that their marriages and their home environments, especially for their children and grandchildren, faith, forgiveness, friendship, fun. God, please connect us to the water main. Holy Spirit, please bring us life so that we can get healthy and help others to do the same starting with those who live under the same roof. In Jesus' name, amen.